Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy Friday to you. Hope that you have had a great week. And uh, we're back with the Friday wrap-up. So uh, a big week for the stare-down bros, right? Because we had the first face-off between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua before their rematch, which is going to take place in August in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And then we had the first stare-down between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez before their rubber match is taking place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas in September. So those are two massive global boxing events that are coming in back-to-back months, highly anticipated, and we've seen these fighters in the ring before, and the fights were highly competitive with a lot at stake. So let's start with the heavyweight fight because that's coming first with Usyk and Joshua. Of course, we all know Usyk won the first fight. And some people out there say that Usyk, you know, dominated. I'm not so sure I would say, I mean, he controlled the fight. He won the fight clearly, but Joshua did have moments. And there were some highly competitive moments in that fight. That being said, Usyk scored the upset win, uh, appeared to have Joshua hurt in the closing seconds of the fight. There are some people out there that think Usyk might, um, maybe found something. It, it might step on the gas a little earlier in this rematch and get Joshua out of there. Joshua is signed with Robert Garcia, will be trained by him. Garcia is known as a guy who trains uh, with an aggressive, offensively aggressive kind of style. So, you know, it's intriguing, man. And this week you guys saw the first stare down between the two of them in Saudi Arabia where the fight will take place. And um, the stare down bros, what a week you guys had because you had that one, which had to plump up your package, right? And then you just had the the Canelo Triple G one today. So, I mean, your balls must hurt from all the loads you've been blowing uh, with all the stare downs this week. So I'll show some of that in a minute. But first, I want to uh, pull this up, one of my beloved polls. And I tweeted this out, I don't know, when was this? Uh, June 22nd just for a day or so, I think, with this poll. And I asked, in your opinion, which active American boxer is the biggest overall commercial draw at the moment? And then in parentheses, let's consider Deontay Wilder inactive for now because I know a lot of you, the first place that you would go to is uh, probably Deontay Wilder, right? Which makes sense. But we're going to consider him inactive now. I want to hear about people outside of Deontay Wilder. So the choices I gave in my poll were Javante Davis, Errol Spence Jr., Terrence Crawford, or somebody else. What's interesting is you guys voted in the exact order that I placed these choices for you. Uh, Javante Davis, 57% of you say he is the biggest commercial draw, followed by Errol Spence at 22%. Terrence Crawford, 11%. And um, almost 9% of you said somebody else. Some of you guys brought up Jake Paul. And then some of you guys, you know, were joking around. One of you guys said Butterbean or something like that. Uh, so you had some fun with it, which is great, which we need more of on Twitter. But, um, you know, Jake Paul, by the way, he's got a fight coming up against an actual boxer. If you want to call, um, who is it? It's not Tyson Fury. Who the hell? Tom, is it Tom Fury? I can't think of the damn name. That tells you how much I care about the fight. But he's fighting one of the Furies. Um, and I guess he, you could consider him a real boxer. So we'll see what Jake Paul does there. But um, I, I found this interesting because it, it's it's interesting to me that – say what you will about the resumes of Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. And some of you guys don't like the fact that Ring Magazine has them both rated so highly 
on our pound for pound list. I get that. But um, they clearly have resumes that are far superior to Javante Davis. And to tell the truth, um, both of them did probably when they won their first title fight because both of them traveled for it, right? Crawford traveled to the UK and so did Spence for their first world title. So really in that moment, when they won their first world title, which was those were legitimate titles, especially Spence, the title he won, those were legitimate titles and they traveled on the road to do it. You could argue at that point that their resumes just then were superior to where, where Davis is now. But then after that, of course, with Crawford, you know, his first title was at 135. He moved up to 140, consolidated that whole division. It was a weak division, but he did clean it out, won all the belts, and did so very, very rapidly, and then moved up to 47. And he's been either the best or second best, depending on where you rate him, welterweight in the world since the second he moved up to 147. For Spence, he's unified several of the belts. You know, he's got three of the four major belts. So uh, both of these guys have, have done a good body of work, but you could definitely make a very rational argument that Gervonta Davis is the more popular fighter in America. Now, globally, globally, I would actually disagree with the results of this poll because globally, I think Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence are probably more known names and commodities in the boxing universe. Um, than Gervonta Davis. And the reason for that is because of everything I just stated. They're more accomplished. I mean, Terrence Crawford has been rated on the pound for pound list either at the top or near the top for years, you know, se several times over the years. And he won a Fighter of the Year award. So, and he has been undisputed, as I mentioned. So I do think that maybe he's a little more known. However, commercially, Gervonta Davis, while he doesn't sell a whole lot of pay per views, Right, He can't really carry a pay-per-view by himself. He's shown that. He does sell tickets, and he sells tickets in multiple markets. Now, Errol Spence has sold some tickets in Dallas, although the, the, the big gate that he did was against Mikey Garcia, and that was a pro mostly Garcia. Right, I'm going to say at least 60-40, maybe two-thirds Mikey Garcia fans. He was the A-side in that show. And I say that because I was there for all of fight week and I saw who was there and who they were there for. And I took notes, but that helped build his brand. My thing is, can Errol Spence sell tickets like that? It, it, he's done some decent ticket sales in Dallas, but not great. But outside of his hometown, he's not a proven ticket seller. Same thing with Terrence Crawford. He's done, he does great crowds in his hometown of Omaha. We've, we've seen that. And he doesn't even need top opposition to, to do big crowds there. But outside of Omaha, he hasn't necessarily done large crowds. Say what you will about Javante Davis. He has done crowds in Baltimore. He has done crowds in Atlanta. Um, he, he's, he has fought, I think, once in the UK. Um, but, you know, he does seem to be a ticket seller. The one thing I'd say about Davis, and I've said this many times, his fan base is a niche, little, tiny fan base. They're very passionate. They spend money, but it's not a crossover fan base. What's most concerning to me about this poll and the results, none of those names are crossover stars. Those are with, forget about Davis for a second. Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are clearly among, if not the number one and number two most accomplished American fighters of this generation, pound for pound.
right? I don't think anybody would deny that. I'm talking post Mayweather, all that stuff. We're talking this generation. It's Spence and Crawford. Those are the two top guys from America. And neither one of them is what I would call a crossover star. Neither one of them could really walk down the street in America and, and have a bunch of average sports fans know who they are. Even if they might recognize their face and be like, I've seen that guy somewhere, they wouldn't be able to place it, right? Javante Davis definitely doesn't have that appeal either, but the difference is with the youth, particularly with the hip-hop fans, hip-hop community, um, he does, they probably know him a little bit more because he's got that Floyd connection. And they've basically marketed him to Floyd fans. Anyway, I just posted that poll. I thought that um, you guys might find that interesting. All right, let's get off that. And then we'll get back to the stare down stuff. But first, let me get over here to the chat. Um, Anthony Santiago says, that was an intense face-off. And I know which one you're talking about. You're talking about the one we saw today, right? So I'll get to that. Um Trey <laughs> says, is this where all the racists hang out? <laughs> Am I in the right place? Hey, if we're all racist, we're doing it wrong because there's virtually every race and ethnicity and a lot of different religions and stuff and nationalities represented right here in the chat. So we're really we're really bad at it if we are. Uh, okay. Uh, OJ22 says, Mike in chat. Ahmed says, salute Mike in chat. Happy Friday, MOB. He also adds that Curtis Schoon is a wacko. <laughs> I think that's who Trey was alluding to in his comment, too. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Sarah is in the chat. She says, Joshua look hella heavy on top. Mm, interesting. Putting on some muscle, maybe. Looking for some power shots. Chris Bergen says, yo, Mike. Miguel says, Canelo is trying to intimidate G. It's not going to work. Yeah, I don't think, he, you know, you really can't intimidate Canelo. You really can't intimidate Golovkin. Those are two guys that are over that shit. <clears throat> Tommy Fury, that's the name. Anthony Santiago says, Jake is going to beat Tommy Fury, LOL. Yeah, like Tommy Fury is technically a boxer, but he's not like a seasoned guy that went, you know, deep through the amateur system or something like that. So he's not really that seasoned of a boxer, right? So... Jake, again, he's really, really, really smart about what he's doing. And what he's doing is kind of a YouTuber influencer version of what Gervonta Davis and his team are doing in the legitimate boxing world. Jake Paul is doing that in kind of the celebrity boxing world, right? And now with Tommy Fury, and I agree with you, he could beat Tommy Fury, um, especially if he lands something hard early to make Tommy think about coming in again, um, and, you know, sets the tone. Then he gets to tell people, hey, I beat a legit boxer. This isn't an MMA guy. This isn't some you know, MMA dude stepping over into this martial art thinking he could just do this on a drop of a dime. This is a dude who's actually boxed, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that would be that'd be real interesting, and it's probably going to happen. Hamed says, Twitter has become so toxic, especially boxing Twitter. Glad I'm no longer on Twitter. Yeah, bro, if I could get the hell off of Twitter, I probably would. It's just become a nasty, nasty place. Nasty place. James Burrell in the chat says, uh, that's because they ain't got Leonard Smellerby. He's the greatest promoter in boxing. I don't know if I call him the greatest promoter, um, but he's definitely got something going on. The thing with Leonard, and again, I, I've, you know, we've had our back and forths, Leonard and I, but I've actually, 
worked with him on different articles and different stuff I've done before and talked to him like on the phone and stuff. And he seems to be a halfway decent guy. They kind of got a grift going over there. And that's, I mean, if we're going to be honest, guys, all of sports and entertainment to a certain extent is a grift. If we're being honest, okay. It's just that what's going on over there with Tank Davis and everything, um, they know what they're doing. It's pretty obvious that they know what they're doing. And I don't mind it, as I've stated a thousand times. What I don't like is the toxicity and the us versus them paradigm that they try to create to promote themselves. But they're promoting to a a group of people, um, not all of Tank's fans, because some of Tank's fans are just fans of Tank Davis. But there's a group, there's an element inside the element that really wants that divisive polarizing political stuff, right? They feed off of that and get passionate about it. And if you convince them that they're, if, if they support Tank Davis, that they're supporting um, some sort of political agenda or a movement or social movement or something, and they're sticking it to the man, that's going to make them more passionate about, you know, buying that pay-per-view or getting that ticket to that Tank Davis fight. So that's what they're doing over there. They're not the only ones doing it, but I don't like it. I just don't like it. Sal says, uh, Javante, hell no, Davis. Jack Alter in the chat. What's up, Jack? He says, Michael, did you know Canelo broke another boxer's jaw? Did not know that. Somebody in sparring, I guess? I don't know. <clears throat> Sal says, Tank would be, would be, be, I think you meant would be nowhere. Uh, we're be nowhere near where he's at without Mayweather there. So that, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely freaking right. Oh, we got a super chat from Chris Bergen. Thank you so much, Chris. He says, I think Triple G beats Canelo for the third time. Bro, you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there I saw on Twitter today. In fact, let me go ahead and share this. Uh, let's see. Because I had the little video of the stare down. Let me pull this one up. Yeah. But uh, there's a, several people after that presser today that were like, man, you know what? I think Triple G is going to win this. All right, here we go. Check this out from Matchroom. Hopefully, uh, you know, this is on Twitter. So hopefully they won't uh, cancel my shit like they always try to do if I share anything. So there's the stare down, stare down bros. Now you get to check it out. You get to watch. Are your pants rising yet? <laughs> is, is, you know, you're getting that little pulse action going right now, huh? <clears throat> Both guys look serious. Even though you heard looks pretty serious on that stare down. But this is all business for these guys. Uh, I did see Golovkin personally tweeted something today where he said, look, this is personal for Canelo. This is business for me. This is just sport. And I believe that. Uh, although, underneath it all, Gennady does have a nasty side to him. And this is somewhat personal for him as well. He's playing that up just a little bit, not being 100% honest. Um, he does have an axe to grind here. But it definitely seems like this is more personal on the Canelo side. And it's going to be interesting to see how both of these guys look at 168. You guys got to remember, man, Canelo weighed 174, and I think 174 and a half for that fight with, uh, that fight with Bevel. And he barely had any fat on him. He's got to lose muscle going into this fight. Now, I, okay, that was, there was some water weight and stuff that he could lose. I get it. But... Uh, he's going to have to lose a little bit of muscle getting down to 68 for this fight. Golovkin's never fought north of 160. 
So he's got to gain muscle to go into this fight. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects both men. And that's the part that I kind of want to see. A lot of you guys have asked my opinion on this fight. You want me to, you know, uh, give you my predictions. You want me to come on your pod and, and talk about it. Listen, I've had several requests for this, okay, from, from multiple people. Listen, guys, it's just too damn soon. I want to see how these guys look in August. I want to see how they look in the gym. Again, Canelo is going to be cutting. Golovkin's going to be bulking. I want to see how they both look. Right. And I can't really get so excited for this fight yet because there's a huge fight the month before, and that's Usyk Joshua. So that's where my energy is going to be focused up until August, what, August 20th, I think. Right. Then after that, full on focus on this rubber match between Canelo and Golovkin. But until then, not a whole lot I can say about it. You know, we got to see how these guys look, bro. <laughs> Which one of you said? Uh, one foot out the door says felt it move. <laughs> yeah. The stare down bros, like I said, having a real good week, man. Anthony Santiago with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, what has Triple G said after the second fight that has Canelo's panties and a bunch, LOL. From what I've seen, the most Triple G has said is that he won both fights. Yeah. <laughs> I think Canelo's still pissed off because Golovkin, and then also, remember, it was Abel Sanchez, called him out on the clombuterol stuff, the drug testing stuff, things like that. I think that really pissed Canelo off. Look, in the past, the WBC, um, in Canelo's opinion, betrayed him, and he threw their, their belt in the trash, right? And he didn't talk to Suleiman for a while. And that cost Suleiman a lot of money in sanctioning fees, but also it cost him a lot of publicity because the main thing the WBC wants around some of these fighters is the publicity that comes with it, the access. And they basically created an entire title for Canelo, the whole franchise title thing. People say that was created for Lomachenko, this, that, the other, that, that's nonsense. It was created for Canelo Alvarez. Anything else you hear is a smokescreen. They did that to get back into good graces and basically always secure a path to a Canelo fight. A, co a connection with Canelo for, for all of his fights from here on out through the rest of his career. That's what they created that title for. But for Golovkin, I think he just, he said a few things that rubbed Canelo the wrong way. Um, he didn't say anything that was a lie. It, it was his, you know, he did maybe make some opinions and was a little brash with it, but technically speaking, Canelo did have clombuterol in the system and we will never know for certain if he meant to do it or if it was in the beef. There have been hundreds of cases of tainted uh, Mexican beef. Um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Infecting? That's not the right word. Um, tainted Mexican beef being um, in, ingested? Is that the word? Eaten. How about that? Eaten by Mexican athletes, football players, boxers, whatever, and them testing positive for clenbuterol. It has happened, and it's happened in other countries, but we'll never know. It did look kind of suspicious the way it all played out. Just going to say. Uh, but yeah, Canelo still got, um, definitely got a hard on. Speaking of hard ons, Anthony says, just blew a full load or just blew a load. <laughs> and Trey says, I got to change my underwear. You guys are freaking awesome, man. Uh, yeah, definitely a good day for the stare down, bro. Speaking of which, let me go ahead, go ahead and show this uh, other stare down. Just so you guys could just, you know, just lose control here. 
Let me find it. Here we go. So this is like a promo shoot that DAZN was doing with uh, Usyk and Joshua and then put some ring somewhere in some alley in the middle of Jeddah and had these two stare each other down. What I love is Usyk breaks the tension by like dancing and he's just kind of dancing around the ring and Joshua stared him down for a little bit and then got out of the ring. He's being all business, right? Um, and then later on, you guys have seen the videos of Usyk like dancing with people in the crowd, just having a really, really good time and just really being a man of the people, uh, enjoying himself. Joshua, on the other hand, seems to be all business uh, in this rematch. Now, is he trying to convince himself or is he serious about it? We'll find out. It is interesting looking at their bodies, man. I mean, they are these guys are in two completely different weight classes. Um, Look at all the muscle on Joshua's frame. And then with Usyk, you see he's got a little skin on his stomach. He's absolutely not a natural heavyweight. I mean, that's pretty damn clear when you look at the guy, right? But his boxing skills just uh, usurp all the, the size advantages Joshua has. If Joshua can impose his will early and often in this rematch, he could get some good results. But if Usyk is allowed to establish a rhythm, in box, he's going to have a field day with Joshua. Also, the fragility of, of Joshua, right? The mental fragility that's been talked about before. I think a lot of that's exaggerated, uh, especially by American fans and press. But if there's anything to it, it will be exposed. All I know is the only guy who's ever fought in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, between these two is AJ. He fought there once, and he basically scored a shutout against Andy Ruiz. So there is that. <clears throat> Chris Bergen says AJ is such a unit. <clears throat> Trey says, I thought this was Mike Montero, not Mike in Brazil. <laughs> uh, Twal says a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. You know, in the case of Usyk, I think you're correct because uh, this is a guy who does not get intimidated by the moment. He fought Marat Gassiev in, I believe it was Moscow. I'm trying to remember it could have been St. Petersburg, but I'm pretty sure it was Moscow. Um, during the time when, right around the time where Russia took Crimea and where the, the beginnings of the war that we're seeing right now, those seeds were planted then. Um, and then for four years, you know, Russia backed off. But with this current administration running things, they jumped right back in, right? But, and I'm not getting political, guys. That's just literally what happened. Uh, but you know, Usyk, a Ukrainian guy fighting a Russian in Russia around that time. And, you know, people from that part of the world could kind of see what was coming and, and felt that, man, that's pressure. And then, you know, to travel to different countries and fight all these guys in different countries and, and beat them, including AJ in the first fight, this guy doesn't feel pressure. So Usyk being happy, dancing around, <clears throat> enjoying his time with the people there in Saudi Arabia. I think you're right, Tall. I think that's a, a sign that he's in a really good place and ready for this. Because compared to what he's been dealing with over the summer, going into a boxing ring and, and doing this, this is like a break. This isn't work for him. This is a break from the insanity he's been dealing with uh, this spring and summer. Trent says that Usyk is going to light him up. We shall see. We shall see.
Papa Chubby says the setting was great, like Mortal Kombat, cool. And Chris Bergen says, I hope AJ silences the doubters. We shall see. We shall see. Ahmed says, I hope we get to see Usyk versus Fury. If Usyk wins, to become undisputed. I don't think we will, Ahmed. I think Fury wants none of Usyk. But if AJ wins, Fury will fight him. That is my prediction. Sam with the super chat. Thank you, Sam. So it's good fights this week to handicap. Let's go. What happened with Martinez versus Arroyo? Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, let's get on track here. So Julio Cesar Martinez, let me just put this out there right now. One of the most unprofessional fighters in all of professional boxing right now. This guy has consistently screwed things up both in and out of the ring and left Arroyo in a really, really bad spot by pulling out of this fight. From what I've heard, he's pulling out of the fight because he was nowhere near making weight. And it's like, look, man, if you're having trouble making weight, at least tell your opponent and you can negotiate a catch weight. But he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to lose his WBC flyweight title. And the WBC will bend over backwards to help a Mexican fighter. They're a Mexican organization, right? So him simply pulling out of this fight, he gets to keep that WBC flyweight belt. It screws over Arroyo, but Martinez and his team don't give a shit. That's the way I see it. Now, if you guys have heard anything different, please correct me. But that's the way it looks to me. As far as the rest of this card, I like it a lot, man. I really, really like the card. I think Bam Rodriguez uh, might have the the makings of uh, a future star for a little guy. He's never going to be a huge superstar. Doesn't have the personality, and little guys just don't translate like that uh, with casual fans. But among diehard fans, I think he's got something. And I'm I'm leaning toward Bam Rodriguez by decision against Rungvisai this weekend in San Antonio. I think the hometown fans are really going to help him. Achman Dialev, you got to like him against Ronnie Rios. And I think uh, Jessica McCaskill, she's fighting a, uh, you know, overmatched opponent. She will defend her undisputed welterweight crown. <clears throat> um, let's see. I want to, I got a couple phone calls here. Uh, let's see. Hamed says, Mike, will you be covering uh, Golovkin versus Canelo three? We'll find out. Um, right now I haven't even asked for that assignment or anything like that. Again, I, I have some things that I'm working on. Um, boxing related in terms of a fight. So I'll let you guys know more about that once it's solidified and uh, it would be out of state. It wouldn't be here in Atlanta. So I'm working on something. We'll see what happens with that. Um, and then Usyk Joshua two, that's the big, big fight before. So we'll see what happens with Canelo Golovkin three, but it is possible. I might get out there. My wife is due to give birth to our first child about a month after that fight. So it might be my last chance to get out to a big fight in a while. So maybe I'll come out there. We shall see. <laughs> James Burrell asked, uh, Mike, does Bob Bennett allow you to travel to Nevada? You know, I, I once again, I, I've said this before, but I got to give Bob credit. He's anytime I've needed him for an interview, he's been available and he's given me information. He gave me some wonderful, wonderful factual data for a story I did. It was actually my first story in the actual magazine, Ring Magazine, about the Canelo Clembuterol scandal. So um, and he was very, very cool, answered my questions, and went above and beyond giving me information that I used in that article that no other reporter at that time had in terms of certain timelines and details and stuff that were in that article. Now, I've seen people bite information from that article and put it in their shit without crediting me or Ring, I have seen that. 
but uh, Bob did give me some exclusive info and data for that piece. So I got to give him his credit. We had a little back and forth one time, but I got to give him his credit. All right. <clears throat> let's jump to some calls, shall we? Um, okay. Let's go to, I think this is Jack. 317, what's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? It's uh, Jack Alter. And okay, gun your head right now. Who wins Canelo Golovkin 3? Gun your head. Five seconds. Just answer. Go. go Canelo go, points. Go. Gun your head. Gun your head. Canelo points. Canelo points. Something told me you'd be asking a question about that fight, Jack. <laughs> I got my tickets today, baby. You got your tickets? That's I cool. Did. Cool. Okay. That's sure. awesome, man. My first time going to Vegas. What, uh, yeah, what section? You're up top? You're down low? Where are you? I'm up top, but there's still a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're getting their money. They're getting their money for this one. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, there was a few things I wanted to talk about. Uh, Usyk Joshua. So you remember me talking about Usyk going to beat Joshua the entire time? Mm-hmm. And everyone was calling me crazy. Am I, am I wrong? People were saying, nah, Joshua's too big, Jack. Don't be... You, even you were saying that. You're like, mm-hmm. you're on the record, man, but I don't know. Now, everyone on earth, and you, you can't say I'm uh, picking out a particular people. Everyone's saying Usyk's going to dominate Joshua in the rematch. Dude, I don't know why people are saying that. I still think this is a very competitive fight, and Joshua could win. And I was telling everyone for years that Usyk would beat Joshua. Mm-hmm. But why is everyone acting like this fight is going to be a blowout for Usyk? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. That's a great point. And I don't know, man. I think people think that Joshua is soft and he's not a killer. He's definitely not a killer, but I don't think he's soft. I mean, a guy, you can't be soft and accomplish what he has. Um, But I'm with you, man. It's going to be a competitive fight. I really think so. Yeah, no, definitely. But uh, Canelo Golovkin 3, man, you know how excited I am for that. Um, I just really hope that Golovkin doesn't get knocked out. Like the only way he gets knocked out is if he completely loses everything overnight. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. he loses everything. That's that's the only probability. But he's 40, so really focused. And if the Triple G that fought Murata shows up to fight Canelo, and this Canelo, he's extremely emotional, and he's been fighting guys. You can't tell me he has had a better career performance than the Golovkin rematch. That was the best version of Canelo we're ever going to see. Yes. Canelo's been on the decline ever since then. Call me crazy. Yeah, call me crazy. But he's like 30, turns 32 in July next month. So, and certain guys, I mean, he has 60 fights. I think this is Golovkin's perfect time. If the Golovkin, the Fon Murata, comes to this fight and Jonathan Banks tells Triple G to go to the body like he has in uh, the previous fights he's had uh, against Rolls, Jarevchenko, and uh, the last uh, Murata. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm getting a good feeling this time. Triple G is going to win. I'm telling you. I know you say Canelo points, but you're telling me from what I've talked to you, you're like, I, I see, I can see Triple G winning, but mm-hmm. the the cards are it's a big issue on the cards still. Yeah, yeah, and look, there's there's some psychology in this fight too because Canelo's coming off a loss. Um, that might affect him. You know, that Golovkin I think realizes he's got to bring some heat. And he's now he saw the way Canelo fought in that rematch that they had, right? He fought very different. He's been fighting different. Um, in the first fight, Canelo did a lot of backing up and and on the fighting on the ropes and stuff. And lately, Canelo's been coming forward. That's the way he's chose to fight. So I think Golovkin knows that now. I think he can prepare for that. 
and uh, fight maybe smarter, not harder. I definitely think this is going to be a really competitive fight. It's crazy to me that people think Canelo is just going to, you know, plow through Golovkin. That's just weird, man. I don't understand it. Uh, do you think there's going to be knockdowns in this? I could see Canelo getting dropped a few times. I could see both guys getting dropped with body shots. I really can. Uh, both Drevyanchenko and Morata touched Golovka to the body, and he he showed a reaction. So yeah. Well, Mike, if you look at the replays, um, you know how some fights have, like I know Canelo Bibble had this, they have different, like they'll upload, someone on YouTube will upload the entire fight from the arena. All those body shots from Murata, those were actually blocked, dude. And I can show you each instance. Almost every single body shot from Murata was blocked. And that's not me being a Golovkin fan. No, a lot of them were. And, and the, the zone guys were missing that. But some of them did get in. Some of them did get in. I saw early on. Once Golovkin yeah, but, made the adjustment and, and moved his elbow a little bit, he caught him. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and then the Derevinchenko thing, he was sick. And he got hit with the – you're not – People were saying, like, the referee saved Golovkin from being knocked out. You don't get <laughs> – I mean, the way he responded to the body shot, his neck muscles popped out for a second, but immediately he started punching back. When Derevinchenko and a shot Derevinchenko after the Golovkin war hurt Charlo to the body, Charlo didn't punch for 30 seconds mm. and tried holding on. That's being hurt. That's being hurt. Golovkin immediately started throwing back after Derevinchenko landed that perfect body shot in round five. And call me crazy, but I think Barry Vincenco is a better body puncher than Canelo. The last time Canelo stopped somebody to the body was Rocky Fielding. Before that, Liam Smith. And before that, I don't even think he stopped anyone to the body. Canelo just throws good body punches. He's mm -hmm. not – now, he's really physically strong, and I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this. But, dude, Royota Morata, although Canelo is like a much, much, much better fighter, their physicality levels are probably equal because Royota Morata is a big, strong guy really physically strong and a, like a bully in the ring to opponents. And I think the way Golovkin handled a big bully in there at 40 shows that he can still have a ton of success with Canelo. Like I said, I'm not comparing him, but you know what I mean? Murata's huge and he's a really physically strong guy like Canelo. It was great matchmaking. He knocked off some rust. He got some momentum. I think Golovkin is prime for an upset here. If he can pull it off, if he is anywhere near his best left, but it's a huge, huge leap from Murata to Canelo, a massive leap. No, yeah, for sure. But uh, that's all I wanted to say, Mike. Um, man, I'm so fucking hyped. It sucks, though, that it's three months away. I'm going to be, dude, I'm literally going to cry tears of joy if Golovkin finally gets that. Dude, dude, I, and I don't care who you are, you and you're being a neutral boxing analyst, You'll still be happy for Golovkin because this guy who's ducked his entire career finally got a good, an elite, perfect win at forty. Everyone yeah. should be happy. Yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be Hell a yeah, feel dude. good story, bro. For real, it absolutely would. For sure. All right, man. Take it easy, brother. All right. Have a good weekend, man. All right, there he goes. Um, I saw one of you guys was asking about tickets. Um, let me let me get to these super chats real quick. All right. But I want to tell you guys about my friend, Jim Boone, who's been on the show a bunch of times. We will have Jim on um, probably a couple times this summer with some of these fights coming up. All right. Uh, Aaron with the super chat. Thank you, Aaron. He says, yo, Mike, love more and do is now a solo practitioner lawyer in Sydney. That's awesome. 
How many boxers do you know that have had successful careers after retiring? Should Pauli Malignaggi run for political office? Um, you know, that's a really good question, dude. Um, I, I, you know, I wrote an article earlier this year in Ring Magazine. I can't remember which month it was, but about Crunk and the legacy of Emmanuel Stewart and the Crunk Gym in Detroit. And one of the things that I highlighted in it was, you know, Emmanuel took so much pride in the fact that many of his boxers went on to be very, very successful in the private sector after their fighting days. Some of the guys that a lot of you have probably never heard of that maybe weren't like huge, huge world champions, all, all of them did really good in the amateurs. But, you know, guys that were maybe uh, they might have got one title as a pro or, you know, a piece of a belt or something like that. But there are several of his fighters that went on to do very well in De the Detroit area in business, uh, buying up real estate, working in the car industry. Uh, so there are there are more success stories than than uh, you realize. I know um, Julian J-Rock Williams comes to mind. There's a guy who's done very, very well setting himself up. Now, he might fight again maybe once or twice, but he set himself up very well with real estate and some other things. Fighters from Philadelphia, for whatever reason, I've just noticed Philly fighters tend to do really well at that. They tend to invest their money well. There's just something in the culture there. They Now, there have been some, some sad stories from Philly fighters. Don't get me wrong, okay? But several of them, I've noticed, have done pretty well. In fact, my coach that I train with here in Atlanta, a Philly fighter, uh, born, you know, raised there, fought out of Philly, and uh, came down here, you know, got married, has a daughter, beautiful family, and started his own boxing gym down here. And it's, it's very successful. So, um, yeah, there, there's more success stories than you would realize, man. But that's awesome for Love More and Do. That's really, really awesome. CJ Duncan with the super chat. Thank you, CJ. He says, cheers from Alaska, Montero. Have a great weekend. Are you and, are you and Vicky doing a, a like a Alaskan cruise? Because if you are, like, I get it because it's like a thousand degrees here in the mainland. So if you're doing it, makes sense. But dog, you got to send me and Tiff some pictures of that shit, man. That would be awesome. We, Tiff and I have talked about wanting to do that a million times. So if you guys are up there doing an Alaskan cruise, bro, I want some video clips. I want some photos of that shit. <clears throat> Sam A with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, Joshua has one big fault. He gasses. Usyk doesn't. I concur, sir. And that's because of all that buffness. He needs to lose some of that. Just too damn big. It reminds me of, of Vladimir Klitschko when he first got started in the pros. One of the first things Emmanuel Stewart did with him when, when he started training Vladimir is he said, dude, stop hitting the damn weight pile. Like, like we're going to just, you just need to fucking drill and spar, bro. That's what you need to do. Now, of course, Emmanuel said that in his way, um, paraphrasing, but that's what, with Joshua, that's like the first thing I would do is dog, no more weightlifting. Like, and he's done so much of it. He's just a naturally huge dude. Right. But my thing would be, we are doing nothing but boxing drills, bag work, rope work, that kind of stuff. And uh, in sparring, that's it. That's it. Road some road work, but I wouldn't even go crazy with the road work. I'd do more swimming. Um, but that would be if I was training Joshua, that'd be it. No, no push-ups, none of that shit. He don't need it. He really, really doesn't. Anthony Santiago, thanks again for the super chase. Says, do you have any advice on getting tickets for Canelo Golovkin three? Should I get the pre-sale tickets or wait a bit and see if the deals come closer to fight nights? Okay, so. 
And hit up my boy, Jim Boone, okay? He's the best in the business. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of mine. I mean it. He's the best in the business. I posted the number uh, in the chat. But for those of you listening, for those of you who are not watching the video, call his cell phone. And Jim won't mind me sharing his cell phone publicly. It is 702-591-1638. I repeat that, 702-591-1638. What's great about Jim is he will tell you straight up when to buy. It's not just what to buy, but when. He also knows every freaking venue out there, and he knows which rows are worth the money, right? Which uh, sections, I mean. Some venues, you know, overpriced for certain sections, and there's more value in other sections, right? You have to know the sight lines and everything from the from the um, mind and eyesight of a boxing fan, from a fight fan. Because you might just have somebody go there and be, oh, there's not a bad seat in the house, right? <laughs> no, from a fight fan's perspective, we ain't watching basketball here. We ain't watching football. We're watching a fight. So, so the sight lines are different, right? Jim will give you the skinny on all that shit, and he'll tell you when to buy. Like He might be like, hey, hold up on this because the aftermarket, you're going to get deals, you know, that sort of thing. So hit up my boy. And tell him I sent you, because if you tell him I sent you, he will take care of you. If you're just some dude off the street, he'll still take care of you, but he'll take extra special care of you if you tell him that I sent you, all right? <clears throat> Aaron with another super chat. Thank you, Aaron. He says, also, Mike, shout out to Jack Alter for the young man showing dedication to the game in his boxing channel. Yeah, Jack puts a lot of passion into uh, his videos. He does a lot of Triple G material, as you can imagine, but that's not all he does. And uh, he puts a lot of passion into it. Does you know puts a lot of work into it, a lot. And Jack is interested in, um, you know, like video production and the entertainment industry and that sort of stuff. So it really gives him a a passion to kind of put his two worlds together, if you will, boxing and then that sort of stuff. So all right. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to the UK, shall we? All right. I think this is Hamed, but I think uh, 796, you're on. What's up? What's up? Yeah, how's it going? Hello, What's up, Hamed? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I just want to talk about a couple of stuff. Uh, first thing uh, regarding this Canelo Golovkin fight, I think everyone agrees it's a pay-per-view worthy fight, but is there any news on the AJ Usyk fight? Because I know AJ signed a long-term deal with the zone, but mm -hmm. will that be pay-per-view in America or just pay-per-view in the UK? Because I think a lot of people would be complaining if that is on pay-per-view in America. I Well, yeah, I know it's pay-per-view for you guys. For for us, yeah. I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me with the amount of money that they just paid him. The only difference with this fight is they're getting a massive amount of money from the people, the government and, and, you know, the people in Saudi Arabia. So maybe they don't have to, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an official at the moment, but right. I mean, he has signed the deal with the zone and I think it's like 99% uh, chance that he's going to fight on the zone pay-per-view in the UK. I, I just, think he hasn't been announced officially but regarding this fight it looks like the zone will be doing a lot of pay-per-views in the future i mean this is uh, obviously one of the biggest fights in boxing so there can't be too many people complaining in terms of when the bike is 
done and the numbers come back. But do you think that you think what PBC did with the pay-per-views when they were saying that we're going to put boxing on free TV is worse than what the zone were doing with uh, saying that pay-per-view is dead and that we're going to take pay-per-view out of the business, but now they're doing pay-per-views. Like, what was more of a hypocrisy, would you think? To me, it's about even. It's about even um, because both pretty much went back on their word within a year or so, <laughs> a couple of years. Now, to the zone's credit, there was a global pandemic involved, but still, um, it, it looks really, really bad when you're subscribing to a service and then they charge you pay per view on top of that, and you get twenty dollars off. It goes from eighty to sixty dollars. I think it should go from eighty to forty or something because if I'm paying twenty dollars, you know, for the month or whatever, and then I pay sixty for the pay per view, well, that's just the same. So what's the benefit of subscribing? I just think that. Um, it's, it really is a slap in the face. And they run ads during the pay-per-view. At least PBC, you don't have to deal with ads. On the zone pay-per-views, you have ads. That's really bad. Oh, and I don't think the people fight. They have to really play on pay-per-view. I mean, obviously, it's not my money. I mean, they did make, I think, a revenue from the fight. And they did pretty well from one season. But I think if they just put this Golovkin-Canelo fight on... Or if they put the B-ball fight and they put a discount on it, then I think not as many people would have been complaining. But yeah. this fight, I think we all saw was going to be a pay-per-view. And I, I'm going to complain because it's not going to be pay-per-view in the UK. And I think that's the right decision. But in America, I do still think it's still one of the biggest fights. Like I can't think of a bigger fight at the moment in America. I think globally, with in, I assume you, you mean Canelo Golovkin, right? The, the third fight? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, globally, you know, Golovkin brings in a lot of different uh, viewership from Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Canelo brings in viewership from Mexico, obviously. Um, and these two are, it's two of the biggest names globally in all of boxing. Two of the top five most recognizable names of active fighters, okay? Um, so it's yeah. it's the biggest fight globally that we will see in the sport in 2022, bottom line. Oh, yeah, I, I'm in more North America. Like, I think in that part of the region, it's still the biggest fight. There. It's still the biggest fight, you could say, globally. Mm. I think uh, I think if uh, Usyk and Fury fight, or if AJ and Usyk, uh, AJ and, sorry, Fury fight, then in Europe, maybe those fights will be bigger. But of course. Regarding this, regarding this fight, I was at Golovkin and Cal Brook. Look, I know a lot of people are big fans of Golovkin, and I, I was, and I still am, but I just think he slipped. I was saying that night, I remember after the fight, um, I think he's lost a step. I don't think he was massively declined in the first Canelo fight or the Dan Jacobs fight, but you could see him slowing down. And this was against Cal Brook, I think it was in 2016. So I have to favor Canelo at this point. I'm not sure about a KO, but I could definitely see a TKO or a late stoppage. Uh, Canelo, whether or not it's the referee or the corner thrown in the towel, it's easier said than done because we, we still got to see how the actual fight plans out or plays out because Golovkin has went 24 rounds with him. But I think Golovkin's best bet is early or the mid uh, mid to late, uh, mid to early round, sorry, because the way Marquez fought Paco in that fourth fight, uh, he, he, he was fighting like he's trying to get the KO early to. 
mid rounds, and I think the late that it goes, uh, I think Canelo will be heavily favoured. I still yeah. see it going the distance, but I do think Canelo is clearly the favourite. In the first two fights, I think it was even odds, but I mean the first fight, Golovkin was a clear favourite, but this fight, I do think Canelo is a clear favourite, but we'll see how the fight actually plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Canelo has to be the favorite. He will be the betting favorite. It will be interesting to see just how wide the odds get. I do think, though, the odds will start wide, and as we get closer to the fight, they'll tighten up. I do think that will happen. Oh, I do think Kovalev, I know you were saying something about his win over Kovalev was a bit, was it, a bit smoke and mirrors. I agree with that. I still do think Kovalev, that win over Kovalev, was better than all his wins at uh, super middleweight because I thought Kovalev was winning that fight. I know a lot of people seem to win the fight. Then they start saying Kovalev took a dive and the whole conspiracy theories came in play. But Kovalev, even though he was past his prime, was coming off a tough fight with Anthony Yad, I don't think he was in the greatest of shape. I still thought Kovalev did way better than Anyone that Canelo fought prior to, I think it was Danny Jacobs, maybe. Upper, after until after the Danny Jacobs fight, you could argue Kovalev was doing better than Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant, all those guys. So I do still think that was uh, a good knockout or whatever, a good win on paper. But that was not the same Kovalev. I think that fought uh, Hopkins, even Ward well, in the not. rematch. Of course not. Nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. But I'm I'm with you yeah. that that win, you know, it, even a completely out of shape. Uh, I'm just gonna say it the way it is: a drunk I'm Kovalev right. is still better <laughs> than Saunders and Plant and those guys. He's still better than them. Kovalev on that night probably wouldn't yeah. beat those fighters, right? So, um, but you know, uh, he he faded down the stretch and he didn't have his wind with him. But just working off a jab, Kovalev was able to control Canelo at times because of his size. All Bevel did is take what Kovalev did and just did it more, I guess, in more dominant fashion for 12 rounds because he was in terrific shape and, you know, focused and sharp and had a full 12 weeks to prepare instead of six weeks to prepare like uh, Kovalev. But yeah, I'm with you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Bivol was a different kettle of fish. He was in his prime. Yeah. He was uh, more. He was had faster reflexes. He was unbeaten. He was uh, at the peak of his power. But I do think that 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 should have been a lesson to Canelo and his team. That that's just not even ceiling. I think you may have picked him more than you could chew because. If he didn't knock Kovalev out in the what was the eleventh or tenth round, uh, that fight ended and went to the scorecard. Or whether or not Canelo got a draw decision, I I don't think a lot of people would have said that was a controversial decision because unless Kovalev was going to get the decision, uh, mm. I st- I still think a lot of people would have complained because I I think I had it even though I had Kovalev winning that fight, but this could arguably be his toughest uh, fight you could see. I mean, if you take the Bivol fight out because he lost, since you'd probably have to go back to that Kovalev fight, or maybe even tougher than that Kovalev fight because he was uh, he was a shell of himself, you could say. So I think Canelo's ceiling is one sixty eight. We'll see how Golovkin puts on the weight, but uh, I, I want to say one one more thing: if Golovkin wins, where would you put him on the pound for pound uh, ranking? Because at that point, I think you could argue he's anywhere 
from number two to three? Some people may even have one. That's a good question. Um, if Golovkin wins and wins in dominant fashion, he'd technically be moving yeah. up in weight to fight for an undisputed championship while being a unified title holder at 160. He'd definitely crack my top five, but it would depend on how some other fights play out as well. Um, but it's also where you rate Canelo right now, too. You know, that would be two straight losses for Canelo, so that would affect my ranking. But as far as I'm concerned, Golovkin clearly already beat Canelo once and had a really close fight with him the second time. So I, I see this as a rubber match. But, yeah, you'd have to put Golovkin up there. You'd have to, right? Um, that would cause yeah. a lot of debate, though, man. But, Ahmed, I, I got to get to some other calls, man. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I'll let you. I'll let, you, I'll let you go. I'll speak to you soon. All Have right. a nice weekend. You too, right. man. Thanks right. a lot. That's it. Right, let me make sure I didn't miss any super chats while Hamed was on. Nope. We're all caught up. Yeah, man, if Golovkin does win, other than the pound for pound list, which will be a, a brief debate that we'll all have, right? But um, the real thing for me is it would change his rating in an all-time great sense, because he'd have a really, really good win at, what, 40 years old. And what would be interesting is to see how Golovkin's detractors would describe that, because a lot of them would say, oh, well, he just beat a guy coming off a loss. That would be their thing. But I'd be saying, look, man, he just moved up and wait to fight this guy, you know? Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens, but I'm excited for it. All right, back to the phones we go. We'll go through as many of these as we can. Okay, 631, what's up? Hey, Mike, this is Keith Yazmosetta. How's it going? What's up, Keith? Uh, you know, just trying to find some cheap gas out here in Orange County. Yeah, yeah. Have, hey, have a good time with that. <clears throat> yeah, I am. Um, uh, just a couple points I want to make. Um, I, I wasn't able to call in last week, but I just want to get my thoughts on the smith Turbia fight. Um, like ever, like a lot of other people, I favor Beterbiev. I made Smith a live dog just because we, you know, we see Beterbiev hurt, uh, been dropped once or twice in the past, and Jim Smith's very tough and gritty. Um, so I was a bit surprised that it, you know, ended in within under three rounds. But then I realized what I re also kind of noticed too with the Devin and Cambosos fight um, is that a lot, like fans and the media, we kind of adhere to a certain narrative or a certain story, like. My thing was Haney was getting touched by Joe Diaz, who's a smaller lot, not as fast, as powerful fighter, right? So Cambosis has, I, I favor Haney in that fight too, but same thing, Cambosis has a good shot to, to hurt him and touch him. Um, and he didn't do shit, he didn't do any of that, uh, to be honest with you. So uh, we all saw that. But same thing with Joe Smith. Joe Smith hits really hard, has a good chin. Perturbia is a slow starter. But you miss the fact, like we miss, you know, I miss the fact Perturbia can box. I saw that when he fought Brown. He, he had a lot of nuance in one you know, when he was coming forward and utilizing angles and setting traps and breaking, he got down, brown down once he woke up after he, he had that cut. Um, so I think that's like, I, I think that a lot of people have to realize that too, is that you can't always judge a fighter by their last fight. You have to look at the whole package and, you know, whether there's something that's going on in the ring or is it just how they prepare for previous fights too. Mm -hmm. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I completely agree, you know, but um, as it relates to, Cambosos and Haney and then Smith and Baturbia. And there's other fights we could point to. That's just a great job of promoting. It's a great job by the promotion. And people also don't realize that a lot of these promoters move 
12 to 24 months ahead. They're, they're building to an eventual fight, right? So it's not yeah. just like the, the Joe Smith and Arthur Baturbia fight. Top Rank started promoting that in a sense two years ago. If you, if you really think about the way they built Joe Smith up, they were always aiming for this sort of matchup for him to cash out. And they promoted him very, very well. That's just what they do. They kind of did a similar thing with Jamel Herring, who's a better fighter than Joe Smith. Don't get me wrong. He's a former Olympian. But they built him up and got him matched up against Shakur Stevenson, right? And they kind of – so they're yeah. very – and now Shakur is on a, another level – it's just really good promoting. And it's sometimes, yeah, as fans, you have to kind of look beyond all that shit and see what's going on. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. Um, my other thought was, um, on, there was someone on the call, I think it might have been sad, just discussing Andre Ward. I'm a Ward fan, but I'm objective, and a lot of the shit that people say about him is true. Like, I've talked to promoters out here. Um, he is difficult to deal with. He kind of acts like he's on a high horse, and I'm sure he didn't want to do certain things in his career. Um, but when it comes to him, like being politically aligned with PBC or him not wanting to Adonis Stevenson, I don't think that's true. I know Adonis Stevenson was ducking everyone who was good at 125. And to be honest with you, uh, was with Rock Nation, which he did bankrupt. Um, yeah. Rock Nation and El Heyman do not have a good relationship because of the whole El Heyman working with Beyonce as well, too. Um, so I, I just wanted to bring that up. And, um, Golovkin, Canelo, I'll be honest with you, it's going to be a good fight. I just, I'll be excited about it when it happens, uh, just because I just feel like uh, Golovkin was ripped off in the first fight. The second fight could have gone either way with Copy with the decision. Um, but now is the best time for Golovkin to fight Canelo, or 2015 was just because of where Canelo's mindset is right now versus Golovkin uh, slipping. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I have right now. Um, I'm going to send you my website that I've been that I've developed. I just want to get your opinion on it, um, just because I want I'm creating like a grassroots movement with for boxing and trying to improve the industry. So, but yeah, uh, I'll let you go. Thank you again for the time, Mike. All right, thanks a lot, brother. Have a good weekend, man. Have a good one. You too. Uh, yeah, Papa Chevy says, uh, Mike, I just noticed your shirt. Yeah, check this out, man. Satrial's Pork Store. Come on, that's dope. You guys know what that's all about. My my cousin bought me this for my birthday. Uh, it took like a month to get here, but uh, yeah, he ordered it. Like my birthday was like a not a month ago, but you know what? Eh, a couple weeks ago. It hadn't been that long. The weeks are all blurring together. But yeah, it took a, a couple weeks to get here. Uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> he never had the makings of a varsity athlete. Uh, good shit. You know what, man? Uh, I got HBO Max right now, and I go back and watch some of the old episodes here and there. The Sopranos just. Every now and then, and it aged so well. And it, it just, what sucks is you could not make that show in 2022. You just couldn't. Chris Bergen asked, any news on Wilder? Um, I saw an interview with Wilder, I think this week, it might have been last week, where he said, I might fight again, I might not fight again. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm making more money doing other stuff than I ever made inside the ring, which is a lie, but still. He is making some money and doing some fun stuff out of the ring. So he probably will fight again, if I had to guess. Uh, the ring is very, very addictive. Um, but the question will be who, right? So if Andy Ruiz beats Luis Ortiz in this Sunday pay-per-view that they're doing, which looks atrocious, by the way, Abner Morris is fighting on that. It was actually Kenny Keith from the boxing ramp brought this up on Twitter 
Uh, it doesn't Abner Mars have to wear glasses because one of his eyes is basically dead. If you see ringside, he wears glasses and stuff. He has trouble reading things. Um, he needs help. He needs, you know, visual aids to help him read shit. Um, and we're going to let this guy fight. What is the point of it? Anyway, I'll rant about that later. Anyway, if Ruiz beats Ortiz, which he will, you probably will get Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz next spring on pay-per-view or something. Don't shoot the messenger guys, but that's probably what will happen. <clears throat> All right, back to the phones we go. And we're going to go out to LA and talk to Tony 213. What's up? What's going on, Mike? I had a quick question about the light heavyweight rating that you guys have right now. Did you guys take into consideration that better DEV technically is lineal? Is he lineal? Yeah. Well, Donna Stevenson lost the ring belt because. He didn't fight competitive component, opponents. Yeah, we and then him. he technically was still lineal. Yeah, so he's technically lineal because he lost to Plastic, and then Plastic lost to Better Be right? Yes. So, and I know where you're going with this because here I'm going to share this on the screen. Hang on one second, brother. Pull this up. Uh, so we currently have Dimitri Bevel number one and Arthur Baturbiev number two. Now, I have not been the most popular guy among the ring ratings panel lately because I have been disagreeing <laughs> with everybody. I was adamant this weekend, and I got the screenshots to prove it, that Baturbiev should be number one and Bevel should be number two. And my reasoning, I'm not even talking about the lineal nonsense. It's the fact that he has three of the four belts and he has the better win recently. Um, now, well, Bevel has the better win. Beating Canelo is a better win, but it's a better win, in my opinion, in a pound-for-pound pound sense. But Terbiev has unified yeah, but, the belts. Well, but see, here, here was... Terbiev has a better resume, right? It's close. It's close because Beevil's wins okay. over Pascal. He beat Joe Smith, dominated him too, just in a different way. Uh, and then Sullivan Barrera, you know, he's got some good light heavyweight wins. So we could argue about their resumes head to head. Beevil might have overall, Beevil does have a better resume if you add the Canelo win. He does. But it's close. Right. Okay. But here's the argument that came back to me, and this is where we kept butting heads. Most people on the panel were like, Mike, we have Bevel on the pound-for-pound pound list, and we have him higher than Baturbiev on the pound-for-pound pound list. So if we have him higher on the pound-for-pound pound list, we got to have him higher in the light heavyweight ratings. And I said, no, we don't. <laughs> we, we just don't. Yeah. I, I disagreed with that. Well, no. But I was overruled. No, just tell them that, no, tell them that you have that, that exact scenario with Spencer Crawford right now. Yes. Well, but here's the difference. Here's the difference. Crawford has fought at three different weights and he was undisputed at one, at one weight. So that hasn't happened. Between... Yeah, no, I'm not. Deb... Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not debating um, what Crawford's done to get where he's ranked, but you can have Bevel ranked above better be and pound for pound, but at the light heavyweight, because technically he is the lineal champion because you got to really lose it in the ring or retire it for that line to really end. That's if you're a lineal and bro. One, I'm not a it, lineal bro. 
So <laughs> I, okay. I, I don't give a shit about the lineal thing. That That's all mental masturbation for me. I know where you're going with that. Trust me. I get it. I I, I do. But I, okay. I just don't care about that. I just look at Paterbiev has three high quality wins, right? Marcus Brown, Joe Smith, right. Alexander Vosdick. Bevel has several high quality wins too. Joe Smith, Sullivan Barrera is a pretty good win. Not great, but you know, on the Joe Smith level, um, his win over right. um, who am I forgetting? Jean Pascal, who was roided out of his mind, is a good win. When you see how that's <laughs> aged, <laughs> and then right. there's Canelo Alvarez. And so, if you want to rank Bevel number one and Viterbi of number two, I get it. But for me. I'm I'm gonna go with Paterbi of number one at light heavyweight right now, just barely. But I mean, flip a freaking coin. Okay. Uh, do you have any news on Jared Anderson and how he's feeling? No, no, I don't. I haven't heard anything about him. Okay. Other question is uh, for Josh Taylor. He says he wants to fight Catterall, and that's the reason that he's staying in this division right now. So do you think he should just dump his belt or two of his belts to force a vacant fight between Zapata and Ramirez? And then that will open him up for Catterall instantly because Paro's fighting and then Ramirez will be tied up with Zapata fighting for that belt. Then he'll get his shot at Catterall in that weight class. I don't know. I it's It's hard to... I don't know what to think with Josh Taylor right now. Some of the recent decisions and stuff I haven't necessarily agreed with. Um, if he really yeah. does want to fight, I mean, he's already. Go ahead. He has already dumped one belt. That's the only reason I'm bringing that up right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, I know he has to fight Zapata. I like the Zapata fight much better. I didn't like the Taylor Catterall fight. It wasn't really fun to watch. I don't need to see it again. I think Taylor's a better fighter. <laughs> I think he had an off night and Catterall had a great night. If they fight again, I, I favor Taylor. I really, really do. Um, but there's a pay to fight in terms of action style matchup, all that. That's a fantastic matchup, man. I, I'd much rather see that. That's a great matchup. Yep. I, I'd love to see it, but I mean, he, he's calling out Catterall, you know what I mean? So I, yeah, I but hey, man, what, it could just I mean, be the Twitter a, call out, you know, it, it, <laughs> the, the Twitter call out. Okay. Yeah. Now, last thing is, what's your opinion about this Floyd McGregor too? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Look, Floyd is in trouble with the IRS, and so he's got to get money. Listen, this is free money. The MMA fans are going to buy it. They're, the Floyd fans are going to buy it. Uh, and there's some. I, I, I don't know. They will McGregor buy. McGregor hasn't won. It doesn't matter, bro. Even though he he hasn't. They, okay. it, it doesn't matter over there. They, who's the other guy? Uh, Jorge Masvidal. Don't buy it, even though. Jorge Masvidal. Well, are they going to be paid? Could fight an orangutan and they'd buy it. Conor McGregor could fight Ronald McDonald and they'd buy it. It doesn't matter. So they're going to tune in. There's a lot of those UFC fans that still think McGregor was competitive with Floyd. They don't realize that shit was scripted and Floyd carried him to get the over. They don't realize. Or was it the under just barely? I can't remember. But yeah, it it was all pretty Uh, much a script. uh, This is the worst one then. What do you think about Katie Taylor talking about fighting Chris Cyborg, the MMA 
person? Some people will buy that. That's a, it, it would be decent numbers for it's worth actually having that kind of fight. It would. Uh, but isn't Cyborg a lot bigger than her? I don't know anything about MMA. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's just one of the things that I've heard that's being because it's this thing that they all want to fight MMA guys right now. So, well, like the MMA Tyson guys, and, and it's free money, dude. It's free money. Like it, it, these guys can't, <laughs> they don't really stand a chance. And I'm not dissing them because if boxers fought in MMA, they wouldn't stand a chance. It's two different martial arts. Yeah, I know. You know, like, uh, unless you can wrestle, like Terrence Crawford does have somewhat of a wrestling background, Sean Porter, maybe those guys could do well in MMA because you have to have a wrestling base, but most boxers, no. So it's just, but it's free money. Rubes will buy that shit. The simpletons, they will buy it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I ain't mad at Floyd or Connor one bit for doing that shit again. Not mad at them at all. You would buy it? Hell no. Okay. (laughs) I didn't buy the first one. I didn't even I haven't watched more than 10 seconds of that shit. I wouldn't watch this one. It's gonna be the same damn thing. Uh but you know, it is what it is, brother. It is what it is. All right, you have a good weekend. You too, my man. I'm off then. All right, peace. All right, we got Two, I'm going to take two more calls here, guys. We got Thad and we got Nacho. Uh, Nacho on the chat says, Mike, she fights at 145 in MMA, but she walks around at 160 or so. She's been, yeah, she looks like a big girl. Why, why would Katie Taylor do that? I get it that this girl can't box, but Katie, fight Amanda Serrano again uh, because that's going to, that fight will bring some money. People will want to see that. So fight Amanda Serrano again and do it in Ireland or do it in London or something like that. Aaron with the super chat. Thank you, Aaron says, Mike, I need an explanation on how Spence is somehow number four on the pound-for-pound list that is the most unjustifiable ranking I have ever seen. Yeah, let me go ahead and share this screen once again, and then we'll get to these last two calls, I promise. All right, guys? And then we're going to wrap this thing up. But let me go here to our pound-for-pound list. And again, guys, um, this isn't my list, okay? It's, It's a democratic process, and that's why I... I'm a big supporter of our ratings at Ring. You might not agree with all of them, and that's fine, but we have a democratic process. We don't charge sanctioning fees. Um, yeah, so looking at this list, okay, in a way, number one, I don't agree with. I have Usyk number one. I've made that pretty clear. I'm fine with Terrence Crawford at number three, but I'm with you. Errol Spence has done absolutely nothing to be in the top five pound for pound. I will say this, though. I will say this. If we're being brutally honest, okay, after the first three names, Inouye, Usyk, and Crawford, it really gets muddy, this pound-for-pound list. If you look at what's happened lately, now I get that Taylor was once undisputed, but he got stripped of one of his belts and looked really bad in his last fight. Jermel Charlo is currently undisputed, but he's had inconsistent performances, and he fights in a division that's overrated, and he hasn't fought the best guys in that division. He's just fought the guys with the belts. Bevel has one big win, and he's in there. Uh, Baturbiev, you know, Baturbiev and Bevel need to fight each other. Lomachenko won't fight at all in 2022. Uh, Spence has had every single advantage since the Kelbrook fight, uh, meaning he's fought exclusively in America in controlled situations. Canelo Alvarez, you know, 
coming off a very dominant loss where he bit off more than he could chew. So I'm looking at this whole list, and it's just completely upside down right now. So honestly, guys, I wouldn't sweat it too much. I think over the next six months, a lot of this is going to get sorted out. I really think, let's call it six to 12 months. But if you think about it, Crawford and Spence should fight in the second half of this year, unless PBC finds a way to fuck it up, which they could. Uh, Once Lomachenko is out of the ring for a full year, the rest of the committee will jump on to my suggestion and we will cut Loma from this list. Uh, Bevel is either going to fight a really, really tough mandatory in in Zerto Ramirez. That's probably who he's going to fight next. Or or maybe wait for the Canelo rematch. I don't know, but he's going to have a tough match. Taylor has a tough fight in Zapata. I mean, I'm just looking at all these matchups here. Charlo is going to fight Zoo, possibly. These guys all have tough matchups coming up, and this will all be sorted out. So it's just in a really funky, weird place right now, the pound-for-pound list, and that's just what happens at different times. Okay, two more calls. Two more calls. Here we go. Let's jump to Thad and hear what he's got on the betting line. Thad, what's up, brother? Yeah, Mike, I wanted to help you out with the uh, the betting lines there when you were talking about – you know, Golovkin and Canelo. Actually, Canelo has been, this is the smallest favorite Canelo has been since the second Golovkin fight, even against Bivol. He's he's only four to one over Golovkin right now. And, mm-hmm. and the odds are stabilized. They haven't moved. So you're getting minus 400 for Canelo and plus 300 for Golovkin. You could probably get a little bit more at other outlets if you shop around. But that's the majority, minus 400. So, uh I don't know. That 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 tells me something. That tells me that something tell you? that, yep. What does that tell you? Because, do you think the, like, the odds will get wider, or do you think they'll get even closer? That's a good question. It's going to come down, like you said earlier, it's too early. It's going to come down to, you know, how Golovkin looks at 68. Is the weight going to help him, and is Canelo cutting? I'll tell you, in, in, that, in that stare down, Canelo has, now I, I have, a tremendous amount of experience with this. He's got that jawline. He's got that uh, Cro-Magnon um, jawline that spells out HGH. And HGH is a drug that is technically legal in sports. You can't really test for it unless you test them the day of, and they specifically look for that. But it, the thing about HGH, it's been around for years, like 50, 60, 70 years. It, it just wasn't very efficient to use. But the gains are permanent. The gains in your body, your organs, your muscles, everything is permanent. Your bone structure. Once you take HGH and you use it for therapeutic processes, that that bone structure is going to grow. Every organ in your body is going to grow. The tendons, everything. So you take the good with the bad. But you see that bone structure on his face? That that really spells it out. Um, another another telltale sign is a guy with the, those big ears. The guy who has really big ears, you know, in MMA, you see like Kazma Chimiev and some of those other other guys. That's that's H, the results of HGH. I just thought I'd point that out. Mm. So a lot of it's going to come down to how they're, you know, they're looking right before the fight. But it's telling me that Golovkin is a live dog at 40 years old, and that's I'm I'm shocked. I thought Golovkin was was really going to have his sail off win against Murata. I thought that would be a struggle. He stopped him. Mm-hmm. Didn't think that was that was going to happen. So Golovkin's going to be a live dog. If the thing that bothers me about Golovkin, the fights at at um the same place it's been the last two times, he's got ripped off. He makes no bones about 
getting ripped off, but going back to the scene of, scene of the crime. So I really hope he's going in there with the uh, game plan to go to the body early and try to stop this guy or at least stop his momentum, you know, and then outbox him late. But you were right about one thing. He does see Canelo coming forward now and he could adjust like he did in the second fight. I thought he took the last five rounds when he adjusted. So this is a, this is a, this is one of those Marquez versus Pacquiao fights. They just have styles you know, that are always going to be close fights. Because Canelo does smother a lot of Golovkin's work with the jab. It's very hard to see the clean shots and, and, and how they're blocking each other's shots. So it gets a little murky. So this is a close fight either way. Canelo, by the numbers, should knock out Golovkin. He's 40 years old and Canelo's in his prime. But we don't... Sometimes age isn't always an indicator. Canelo is sort of in decline in my view now. Yeah. He's, playing, he's playing golf. You know, he's, he's reading the press clippings. He might've peaked and Golovkin may have one good one left in him. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And that, that 168 weight is going to be, I think the X factor either way. Yes. If Canelo has to cut weight and if Golovkin is actually re- replenished because he did look very muscular in his last fight against Murata. I thought that was yes. going to be a tough weight cut, but he proved me wrong. So, uh, yeah, the odds are going to be stabilized. Huh. Up until the probably the, the last minute, because then you have the Mexican betters who always push the line, you know, towards Canelo. But you know, there's gonna be a lot of value on 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 betting either fighter by knockout this time, I think. But hmm. it's really a crapshoot at this point. It's not even worth speculating. I wouldn't even go there. Yeah, like you but, said, uh, it's just it's just yeah, too that's, early. That's, People keep asking me, and I'm like, man, it's it's pretty much three months away. It's just too early. Way too early. And yeah. and again, once with the pound for pound again, uh, yeah, with Spence being four, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, he's taken forever in that, that division. These guys are fighting like once a year. Crawford didn't even fight this year. Yeah. He might not even fight this year. <laughs> he better fight. I mean, yeah. this, this guy has like a, a top five ranking in, in the pound for pound. He's never beaten an elite fighter. It's, I know it's one thing to, you know, to show the uh, – you know, how he, how he shows out, you know, he's destroying everybody he fights, but look at when he's fighting them. You know, Porter was ready to retire. Khan was a shot fighter, you know, Kel Brook, we could go on and on. Right. There's gotta be something to be said about that. So his, his rankings way too high. If he, if he beats Spence, then yes, he's justified, but him being ranked so high has always bothered me. It just seems very irresponsible to the the media, and I think it's because of the U.S. factor, and and they're catering to certain uh, fan groups that they want to have representation. American fighters right, are but, gen- American fighters, especially in certain divisions, tend to get a little more love. It just is what it is, uh, especially at welterweight. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Well, if you're the establishment, you have to prop up American fighters because that's what pretty much, you know, that's where the big money is. It's not the fans that are pushing it, the dial. It's it's the American market. They want those TV rights, and, and it's big time. And, Sam, um, Sam, you know, let me ask there's you a about, lot of bias. Sam in the chat is is bringing up the fact that we barely talked about tomorrow's fights. Are you betting that, that card in San Antonio at oh. all? Oh, absolutely. I, oh. I think Bam Rodriguez is a future superstar. I have him by decision. I think uh, Rungvisai 
you know, his many names, he goes by many names. So if you're betting the fight, don't get discouraged when you see his real name come up. Okay. Yes. With a W. All right. But, but, but he's an older guy and at these young, at these uh, smaller weights, it's a tough task, especially when you're inactive. I think he's got the home court advantage. It goes to decision. I can't see him losing because of that home court advantage. And uh, I like him minus 150 to win by decision. I also like uh, Akhmedaliev to possibly stop Rios late, but I definitely see him winning. I don't think that's a, I think that's a foregone conclusion. He's a seven, seven to one favorite, but here's an intriguing fight. The, the women, you got McCaskill. She's a smaller girl. She's aging and she's finding a bigger girl who's a little younger, but again, doesn't have her class. Mm-hmm. That's a fight to watch. It's a, it, she's a six to one favorite. You know, that's a fight that could go either way, even though I favor McCaskill, obviously, by decision. But that's a, a good over bet. I don't think either could knock each other out, but a good that's over. a big girl she's fighting. Yeah, I definitely bet over. the over on that. And McCaskill, yeah, and you're going to pay money. It's minus 455, mm-hmm. you know, so it's four and a half to one. So it's favor to go over. But the thing about McCaskill, she fought Breakus at a catch weight, those two fights at 145, and, and, and uh, Breakus was taking a little off of herself coming down. So I think that's a little misleading. It'll be interesting to see how she handles a big, big girl like this uh, Alma that she's fighting. And uh, I just love the card, though. The zone. Good card. Pound for pound, they're putting it on. Yeah. $20 a month for that membership. That's the best buy in boxing. I, I could say that Eddie Hearn, he, he puts on great cards, a lot of good fights, like top to bottom. There's four or five good fights on his cards. I know some of them are blowouts. But it's entertaining because they're good. It's good matchmaking. Everybody who's blasting Eddie Hearn, you gotta, you know, represent what's real in boxing, not because he's foreign. Okay, this guy's putting on good shows. He's doing right by boxing. Oscar De La Hoya is doing shit. Oscar needs to sell Golden Boy to Hearn. Hearn needs to buy off of Oscar. He's a sucker for not buying hmm. Golden Boy promotions for ten ten million. I give him everything because you take his top guys and, and you promote him because Oscar's doing nothing for boxing right now. He's just protecting his own interests and it's, it's working against everybody. But Mike, one thing before I leave you, when you mentioned Bob Bennett, yeah, I always call out Bob Bennett, but you're right. He's a stand-up guy. Um, I had a friend of mine in the FBI hook me up on a call with him. He stood on the call for 45 minutes taking bombs. All right, I was nailing him. And yeah, he was given a lot of bullshit answers, but the guy, he's, you know, he, he's like a man of his word in, in, yeah. in other senses. Yeah. He's going to give you lines of bullshit to cover his ass, especially after the, the Golovkin and the, uh, the Andre Ward fiascos. And I caught him in a couple, a couple, uh, makeshift, uh, I'm not going to say lies, outright lies, but, um, you know, he, he'll give you the time and, and, and that's something rare. A, a rarity these days, a guy who's going to be a man who is word. He'll stand yeah. up, you he know, will. whether you like him or not, he's a stand up guy. I didn't realize so, he, uh, he's a former you know, Marine like me. So I think the back and forth, and it was someone else who brought this to my attention, but the back and forth we had, I guess was so heated because we're both former Marines. And we, I guess we both went into that mode and I didn't realize that about him. Yeah. So when we talked about it, it was kind of, right, it was yeah. kind of funny, you know? Yeah. And I'm a fighter and I, I go out guys and, you know, he stands his ground and I get that, mm-hmm. you know, I caught him in a couple, you know, loopholes, you know, with the, with those excuses, but all in all, you know, yeah. And, and that, that's a testament to his background, you know? So, uh, 
anybody out there always bad mouthing him, you know, yeah, he's probably on the wrong side of a lot of these uh, issues, but it's not his fault. It's corrupt state. Okay. Nevada is corrupt to the core. So you got to kind of play along those lines when you're in those positions. That's a good point. But uh, yeah. Hey, Mike, you got to get somebody on your show to do like a Q and a and educate some people on, you know, maybe VADA testing um, and, and um, you know, some of these new PEDs that are out there, especially HGH and how it's making a comeback because now people are using HGH and it's undetectable and you're getting the results that are permanent hmm. and uh, steroids, you know, we're always more efficient. That's why people were using steroids. Now it's HGH. It, they're controlling it now. It's just very expensive. But now with athletes making millions of dollars, it's not an issue. So if you could maybe bring an expert on, you know, maybe even a guy from Balco, I think that would be an awesome moment for the fans to, to learn a little bit because they're, they're, they're missing out about 90% of what's really going on in the sport and, and, and how these small, you know, smaller weight fighters are, are coming to the ring like 30 pounds you know, above their natural fighting weight when they weigh That's in. That's a good idea. So, I, know, I know just who to reach out to. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that tonight. Cool. That'll be great, Mike. That'll that'll add some value to your show. All right. Thanks, Dad. from a fan's perspective, okay? All right, man. All right, man. You, you take care. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. All right. Let's – Um. Sam says, yeah, that's how I met Mike. I filmed that whole exchange. Sam, I remember that. Uh, after my little back and forth with with Bob walking back up to where my wife was because she was up in the stands, you know, I was down on the floor right right by the ring, and I walked right by you. And I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you kind of came up and like, you know, yeah, man, you know, it was one of those things. Um, it, yeah, and then um, of course we hung out after that, but yeah, that was just one of those moments, man. I had no idea that shit was going to happen. But it stayed with me for a long time. All right, uh, let's go to Nacho. Nacho, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Nothing much. Just here uh, listening to uh, everybody who called in. Um, just kind of wanted to touch on a couple things. Um, the first off, I know you said you were going to do it, and I noticed uh, the last few days you had really uh, gone in on him on Twitter. Uh, Big Pharma, Jarrell Miller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to see the fight. I got to see the fight um, last night. And, uh, man, talk about a guy who legitimately – I mean, I know he was fighting pretty much a can. But it's sad to see a guy who legitimately had boxing skills and real talent not be more dedicated to his career as far as not using PEDs and and not blowing up in weight mm -hmm. in order to maximize his potential. And last night was a perfect example of it. Even at his fattest that I've ever seen him, 341 pounds, he looked like a guy who, if he actually lost about 60, 70 pounds, he could be a legit threat at heavyweight. But at this point, I'm just not sure that the guy is all that dedicated. I think at this point he's just trying to see if he can maybe make some money and then probably get out before it's too late. But what a waste of a career that guy has been at this point to lose all that time and money because of his uh, stupid uh, mistakes uh, regarding PEDs. Uh, just what a shame. Yeah. Um, and then uh, regarding uh, the fights tomorrow, 
Um, all of the, you know, all of the fights, all of the guys weighed in. They they look good. They look like uh, they're in shape and they're ready to go. I'm really curious to see how that the the main event goes. I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of discounting uh, Sorungvisai, saying he's a little long in the tooth and he might be over the hill. I, I'm not ready to throw the guy out just yet. I think he might have one last good performance in him, and I think tomorrow he's going to test Bam. I think he's he knows he's being kind of counted out, and I think he knows he's the underdog, and he's going to come out there and he's going to fight and he's going to give Bam a test, and I hope Bam rises to the occasion, but I want to give kudos to him because he's actually doing something a lot of these dudes under 25 are not doing, and that's actually fighting guys who are dangerous and actually putting his record on, on the line against guys who he could technically lose to, right. unlike some of these other dudes who legitimately just take on setups, you know? Um, and then uh, I wanted to mention, Mike, real quick, because nobody's really been talking about it. There's a sneaky good little fight going on tomorrow night, too. Um, I think you mentioned it on Monday, but I just kind of wanted to throw it out there that Hecky Butler, uh, Edwin Soto fight. In Mexico, that's right? That's going on. Is that the one in Ulysses? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think that's going to be a, yeah, I think that's going to be a really entertaining fight to watch for sure. And I hope people get to watch it because, I mean, we're talking about the lower weights. I think these are two guys that, don't get a whole lot of shine. And I think tomorrow would be a perfect time for people who listen to the show and, and, and watch, you know, your podcast to legitimately tune in for that fight and see a couple of other smaller guys who actually, you know, are entertaining to watch when they're matched correctly. And I think that's a really, really good fight. Um, you know, that's, uh, being put out there. And then you were talking about, um, Abner Mata's Mike. Whoever decided to clear him and put him on that card should be arrested and thrown in jail. That guy has absolutely no business getting back in the ring again. I mean, he has, I think, about as bad of a detached retina mm -hmm. as you can get. And he's never been in public since his last fight, uh, what was it, four years ago, without glasses on. So he never wants people to see his eye. Yep. I think his eye is just as bad as Israel Vasquez's eye is. Yes. Even Israel Vasquez has a, a horrible looking eye when he got his retina detached. So the fact that somebody actually in the California State Athletic Commission would clear Mares to get back into the ring and the fact that he would actually do it himself, it, it's just pathetic and, and it should be criminal. That guy has no business being in the ring. He had his, his time. You know, he's got a good career being a broadcaster for Showtime. Why is he going back in there to risk permanently he could getting go blind. mangled by somebody who... He, he could yeah, go blind in that like, eye. I don't get it. Yeah. I absolutely do not get why he's taking this risk and why people in his family and his team are allowing him to take this risk. It, it's insane. I, I just hope that, if anything, I hope it's just a one-off just to kind of get it out of the system. Right. And then maybe he says, okay, like I got this one last fight I wanted and I'm done. I'm good. Uh, he walks away and he's good. And hopefully we never see him back in the ring again. And then uh, one last thing, uh, Mike, regarding the uh, Joshua Usyk. I know you put the video up. So Steve Kim said on his podcast the other day that apparently I was under the impression 
that Joshua was going to come to California to train with Robert Garcia. But then he said on his podcast a few days ago that apparently that's not the case, that Garcia is going to fly to the UK and train him in the UK. Yeah, And I'm thinking, come on, man, like you need to be in a completely different environment where not everything is set up for your creature comfort. Like you need to be in a gym that's sweaty, dirty, like rough, rough. Like LA he needs gym. to be in that kind of environment. He needs to be in a exactly. SoCal LA gym where it's 120 degrees exactly. and you're melting off all that yeah. bulk. I completely agree. But let me tell yeah. you, Nacho, you know, I didn't think about this till just now till you brought it up, but that to me shows psychologically, dude really don't want it that bad. And yeah. Usyk just went to fucking war, bro. So now, you know, look, I no, always yeah. I had Usyk in this fight by decision, but now that I'm going to maybe double down on it now thinking about it that way because if I'm Joshua and I'm really serious about this, and I go to Cali and I go to LA and get some real sparring that you don't get out there in London, let's be real, um and and some gym work that you're not going to get out there at least for a month before you go back to London. That's a, that's what I would do. And him not doing that tells me mm-hmm. mentally maybe he really don't want it quite as bad as other guys do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think he should have split his camp at the very least. Did part of it in L.A. and then yep. went back for a couple of weeks before the fight to the U.K. and tried to just basically, you know, get tested in the gym. Because, I mean, in the U.K., like you said, Mike, he's not being tested. He's getting guys that are probably guys that are going to cater to him, and they're going to make company him think guys. he's great. He's getting company guys exactly. that know who, who the man of, is, yeah. and you know they're going to treat him accordingly. He comes to LA and he gets in there with some of those LA guys. They'll be like, "I don't give a fuck who you are." Bow. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? That's exactly. what it's going to be. Yeah. 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 As soon as he gets that first right hand to the face, he's going to know. Oh, He's yeah. not getting guys that are going to be there to cater him. It's a little different know? over here. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, it's disappointing, Mike. But I agree. I think if, if that's going to be the case, then Usyk for sure right now has to be the one with the advantage. Because, like you said, he's going in there with the, with the mentality of kill or be killed. And Joshua's acting like, eh, it's no big deal. I'm just taking this rematch because, I want to try and win, but I really don't want to win, like you said. So, Nacho, you uh, just completely right. changed well, my mindset on that fight. You just completely changed my mindset yeah. on that fight, fucker. You just, just in two seconds, <laughs> boom, with that comment. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> All right. All right, Mike. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you on Monday. All right, man. Have a good weekend. Bye, Damn, that, yeah. that, that's just a great point he brought up because. I heard the same thing that Steve talked about on the show with Mario, and um, I, it just didn't register. But for some reason, when Nacho called, it just kind of clicked in my head. Like, look, man, how bad do you want this shit? Because, you know, you look at there's so many fighters I can point to from different parts of the world that literally move to the other side of the earth to get their piece of it, you know, to get their piece of uh, glory, their chance at glory. And if you're Joshua and you're that hungry, dude, go to California. 
I don't care what your situation in London is. I don't care what the sponsors say and your media obligations. You tell all those people to go fuck themselves because this is about you and what you want. Tell everyone to fuck off and die. Get on that plane and go to L.A. That's what I would be doing. That's what I would be advising him to do. The fact that he's not doing that, interesting. All right. I said Nacho was going to be the last call, but we got Chad on the line from Canada, and he's been wanting to call. So I'm going to get him. I lied. We're going to get one more call. Then we're out. All right. So we're going to get one more call here, guys. I'll bring Chad on. From London, Ontario, the land of maple syrup. <laughs> What's up, Chad? <laughs> What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? <laughs> hey, thanks for taking my call, man. Yeah. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day here. The weather's nice. Um, I just, uh, you know, I'll just be quick. I know you're trying to finish up. And actually, I'm kind of going a bit off topic here, but I want to try and appeal to all your listeners who are pro fans and boxing fans to consider your local amateur scene. You know, most people don't live anywhere where they can go to a pro fight. You know, when you consider that most fights happen in like four or five different cities, really, majority. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like all, all the amateur uh, clubs and different uh, regional scenes need support. They need help. And I'll tell you, I think most guys think that, you know, oh, younger people uh, fighting amateur, it's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be fun. But I'll tell you, man, I have not been to one fight. Uh, amateur fight that's not a completely fun night you might get one or two dud fights out of like 10 or 12 on a card um you always get your money's worth and um you see the talent that's in your area it's a really great way to embrace the sport beyond just giving wealthy people more money and support you know guys like canelo who have plenty of support as it is and i'm thinking about guys like yourself too mike you know yeah, you know what? That's a really, really great point, man. And the the best part of it that you mentioned is, you know, most people really don't live in a market where they can go to at least major pro fights. There might be a club show or something. Yeah. And I, I tell people all the time, yeah. you know, support club shows, but also support your yeah. amateur scene because, yeah, most of the kids that you're going to watch, they're not going to be future world champs, but they're doing something that is going to make them better human beings most of the time. I've seen so many of these amateur programs help kids in rough situations. And even if they they come from a good home and they have two parents and, and they're a middle-class kid, it still instills confidence and discipline in them and helps make them a better uh, one day, a, a better man, and one day, a better woman, uh, whatever the case may be. So I completely agree with you. And it is a fun time. It really is a fun time. Oh yeah, I, I've I've never been to a show where the fights aren't completely exciting, and I'm talking about you might have two 13 year old kids up there, and uh, everyone's out of their seat cheering. I mean, it's it's great. Um, I mean, on that note, have you heard about Sean Porter's new newest uh, thing he's doing? It's called Amateur Boxing. It's called Amateur Boxing. Something. <laughs> amateur I, I amateur boxing something. Let me Google that. <laughs> Let me see. Sean. Yeah, but but orders behind it. And 
what it is, it's great for American uh, boxing fans because he's only focusing on uh, American amateurs. And what he's doing, he's, he's got a website, and then he wants to expand to an app as well. And he's going to uh, show you the top four ranked fighters in each weight division in the amateur. And the reason I listened to him in an interview, the reason he picked four, top four, Crawford, when he was an amateur, uh, he was ranked fourth. And he never got ranked higher than that. And, you know, Porter's thought is if a guy like of that kind of quality can go through the amateurs and slip, you know, through in fourth, then it's probably worthwhile to, you know, yeah, show you the top four guys, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think for, yeah, I think it's an amazing project for all the American uh, boxing fans to really find out who's making moves at that level. You know, I wish there was something similar for Canada, UK, for any of uh, the other more prominent boxing countries like Mexico and, and England, for sure. It would be awesome if they had that, too. Yeah, with with streaming technology now, I, I definitely think that there are big opportunities for a professional promoter to eventually get involved somehow and stream some of these events more because um, they're cheap to put on, they are entertaining, and there's a lot of fans out there that would enjoy watching them. Um, but there's nothing like going. You know, I would definitely recommend, as you said, go to these things. But yeah, I love that Sean Porter's doing. Yeah. I'll have to look more into that because I think that's wonderful. Is getting involved. Yeah, I just I, I forget the exact uh, name of it, Mike. But uh, people can look it up and they'll they'll find it. And I think it's he's got it just in the beginning phases, anyways. Um, mm. he, he's still my understanding is he's still kind of developing it. But their website is up, so I think if you go there and put his name and amateur boxing. I think it's Amateur Boxing Champion. I think that's the name of it. Okay. Um, but anyways, Mike, I'll let you go. I, I just kind of wanted to put that out there. My my son, as you know, he fights uh, in the amateurs. He's fighting tomorrow night. And I just kind of wanted to put that vibe out there, you know? Like, it's a great way to go uh, see re fights on the regular for cheap and feel like you're doing something at a grassroots level. You know? Yes, absolutely. Completely agree with you, man. Completely agree. Okay, man. Um, I'll talk to you on Monday, and uh, I'm cheering for Bam tomorrow, man. I want to. I want to win. I love him. I love him. Yeah, I like Bam a lot. I think he's going to win that fight, but he's going to he's yeah. going to have some rough moments. He's going to have to learn on the job, which is great, which is what you want. But uh, have a good weekend, brother. Thanks, thanks. for your call, man. Okay. okay, thanks, Mike. See ya. There he goes. Great stuff. So moral of the story is support your local club shows and support your local amateur shows. You have no idea how much those shows affect the lifeblood of boxing. When those scenes are healthy, everything kind of takes care of itself. All right, guys. Other than that, have a wonderful weekend and uh, get off of social media. Get off of damn Twitter and all that toxic, nasty shit. Go outside. Do something. Have some fun. And we'll be back at it Monday on the Ring Digital YouTube channel for TNC. All right? Have a good weekend, guys. Peace.